You are listening to National Security Law Today. Hello, it's Holly, and welcome to National Security Law Today. Oh, wait, tomorrow's May 1st. That's the Kentucky Derby. And those in the know also know it's usually the Gold Cup. But more importantly, May 1 is Law Day. Law Day is a national day set aside to celebrate the rule of law. It provides an opportunity to understand how the law and the legal process protects our liberty, strives to achieve justice, and contributes to the freedoms that all Americans share. The American Bar Association celebrates Law Day each year with programs and events. More can be found on our Public Education Division's website listed in our readings today. But for the podcast, we're very pleased to provide highlights of the program, Advancing the Rule of Law Now, a Global Perspective. The program explores the role of the United States within the international rule of law landscape. Hello, everyone. My name is Will Gunn, and I am this year's chairman for Law Day. I'd like to introduce the president of the American Bar Association, Trish Rifo. Thank you, Will, and, and hello, everyone. Welcome to this Law Day special event. Let me also thank our moderator, our panelists, the ABA Division for Public Education, and especially the Law Library of Congress for their support for today's event. ABA presidents also have the privilege of selecting the year's Law Day theme. We chose the theme, Advancing the Rule of Law Now. The rule of law provides a bedrock of consistency and fairness in our society. Societies can rely on the rule of law to protect and expand rights, to advance justice for all, and to enact positive change to secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. We do this here at home by providing pro bono legal services to the poor, by working for free and fair elections, or by advocating for causes that bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice. And we do this abroad by helping emerging democracies develop fair and open systems of law and justice, and by bearing witness to and holding governments accountable for human rights abuses and other injustices. Thank you very much, Trish. At this point, I'd like to turn the floor over to Elizabeth Betsy Anderson, the head of the World Justice Project, who's going to be serving as our moderator. Thank you very much, Will. I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity and to the ABA and to the Law Library of Congress for hosting this important discussion. The theme for this year's Law Day, Advancing the Rule of Law Now, underscores the urgency of this call. Law Day is first and foremost a a focus on the role of law in the United States, but today's discussion broadens our lens and looks to rule of law dynamics around the world. And we really could not have a better panel to provide perspective on this topic. So let me begin with some stage setting, drawing on the data of the World Justice Project. The World Justice Project is a non-governmental organization based in Washington, D.C., with offices in Seattle, Mexico City, and Singapore. We work to advance the rule of law around the world 
through research, data collection, and analysis in support of a global network of change makers. Uh, I thought I would, it would be helpful uh, to share with you the data from the World Justice Project's Rule of Law Index 2020. World Justice Project Rule of Law Index measures the rule of law across eight dimensions of the rule of law. These eight factors are then broken down into sub-factors, 44 in all. We use the index to measure the rule of law in 128 countries in 2020. In 2021, it will cover 140 countries. And the methodology draws on the perspectives of the users of the legal system. Our viewers may wonder where the United States is. Uh, the United States came in at 21 this year in 2020 in the rule of law index for the first time falling out of the top 20. What we saw in 2020 for the third year in a row was more countries declining in their score than improving. And we saw this declining trend in every region in the world, in developed rich countries, as well as developing countries and in various regime types. Very rarely is a country moving consistently up or down in multiple years over time. What we see is a consistent pattern of ebbs and flows in almost every country. What is also interesting is that the countries that are most consistently improving tend to be those with the strongest rule of law. So Denmark, which ranks number one in the world, doesn't have much room to improve, yet it continues to improve in each of the four years in this ranking, suggesting that there is a certain momentum that may uh, develop where there is strong rule of law. One dimension of the rule of law that emerges in this World Justice Project data that I mentioned is its complexity, this multifaceted nature of the rule of law, and the fact that progress is not linear. We see ebbs and flows in rule of law over time. To begin our discussion, I wanna ask each of you to share your perspective on those dynamics on the process of rule of law progress and how you have seen it develop in different regions. And if I be may begin with you, Ambassador, can you describe for us the dynamics that you have witnessed in rule of law progress? And in particular, what you have described to us in an earlier conversation, the transition from law of the ruler to rule of law. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Now, after seeing these numbers in the presentation, I cannot get rid of the feeling that most of the world still lives under Babylonian system of law. I mean, every developed society has rules and laws. I mean, it's not that we lack rules or laws. What we are seeing that this application is segregated by different clusters of society. And it's not necessarily based on uh, race or gender but it's more uh, based on you know, who is on the top and who is in the bottom, you know, who is rich, who is not, and those kind of uh, other variables. And so we see that Babylonian system versus the liberal system when everybody uh, should be equal to the law is not the case in the world. So that's the first observation that we see this fragmentation. What's important to mention here is that these fluctuations coincide, in my opinion, with the ideological crisis or the crisis of ideas or competing narratives or competing ideologies in the world. What we see now is that um, when 
Cold War was over, we declared that liberal democracy is a winner. And you know, there were a long line of people and countries trying to jump on the boat in the liberal democracy. Today, unfortunately, the situation is different. We have a number of very powerful and big countries challenging liberal democracy and liberal world order. And they are offering their alternative methodology, which is not necessarily based on the rule of law as we understand it. Second observation that I want to share with you is that it's quite obvious that players in this field are not only the nation states anymore. Non-state actors can be a positive or negative players in this field. From the positive, I can name the even organization like the ABA, promoting rule of law, uh, not only domestically, but internationally, uh, local NGOs that are advocating or think tanks, watchdogs. But we also see organizations like ISIS. We also see other organizations, I don't want to go into naming and shaming, that are advocating completely different uh, realities. On top of that, we were kind of comfortable talking about Western companies proliferating their activities, free trade, and introducing liberal corporate governance. Now we have a competition that we have semi-independent uh, financial institutions and organizations are not, that are not sticking to those, those rules anymore. Some companies, very powerful and big companies, actually embracing corruption. And they don't have any rules to adhere because their country of origins do not demand that. So this competition blurs the picture. And in my understanding, it creates very solid distortion to the efforts to promote the rule of law. Another factor that is um, very seriously impacting changes that we've seen here is information. We believe that information has to be free. And we believe that everybody can express their opinion, but also we've seen enormous and very, unfortunately, very successful attempts to manipulate this information. So all of that gives you a background how these things happen and why they happen. What we see now in the globe is that the societies and leaderships are confused. They're confused because of these competitions that I mentioned. They're confused because of manipulation with information that I mentioned, and they're confused because there are so many increased threats that are not that distance that it used to be. It's now kind of affects all of us, being it the hackers or the coronavirus. Thank you very much. I want to bring Jenny and Ashley into the conversation. Jenny, can I start with you and give us maybe a European Union perspective. The, the rule of law is a very hot topic there these days. Yes, uh, thank you. And uh, thank you, Vincent, for having me here today. So let's just jump right in. Uh, you said that, yeah, it's really currently a hot topic in the European Union, uh, defending the rule of law. And all of you might have heard about it or read in the news that there's a conditionality regime that the European Union now introduced um, to protect the European Union's budget in case of rule of law deficiencies. Poland and Hungary have already lodged an action against this new regime before the Court of Justice of the European Union in March um, of 2021. Um, so we'll see what the court says um, with regard to the legality of this new conditionality regime. Because um, you have to see the background actually for adopting this new conditionality regime was actually, were actually the actions of Hungary and Poland. 
Um, so it's quite clear that they are against it. But let me back up a little bit and just briefly describe the um, European Union rule of law framework so we have a background for this whole conditionality regime. So the rule of law is one of the fundamental values that the European Union is based on. Um, so in the European Union and its member states have to respect the rule of law and also promote and protect it abroad. So not only within the EU, but also abroad. And then there are several procedures for breaches of the rule of law. And some are soft law procedures uh, and some are hard law procedures. So far, all this, uh, these measures in place were not successful. So yeah, so this conditionality regime was introduced because especially Hungary and Poland, they are receiving a lot of money from the EU budget. Under this regime, they can um, suspend uh, or interrupt or reduce or terminate payments to the member state. So I think, well, this is a little more tangible. If they don't get the money that they need, you know, maybe then something will change. So obviously, um, this is also a reason why this new conditionality regime was opposed by Hungary and Poland. At the same time, they were debating the EU um, multi-annual budget and also the next generation EU recovery fund. Um, which has money for um, the economic recovery um, from the pandemic. So it's, it's a lot of money, especially this recovery fund has 750 billion um, euros, as far as I know. Um, so this money is needed in order to restart the economy. And they were blocking uh, the adoption of this budget. And they said, well, we don't want this conditionality regime. Then uh, in the European Council, they actually had a compromise. And they said, well, we'll pass this uh, regulation, but the commission will not use it before they, not, they will first issue guidelines on how they will implement it and how they will use it. Um, and we'll also wait until member states, until the Court of Justice of the European Union has ruled on the legality. Uh, this compromise has legal effects because the regulation on the conditionality regime will not be put into effect uh, until these guidelines are passed and until the court rules on it. So this is actually, it's quite complex and very interesting because now they have this regime uh, where they can sanction rule of law deficiencies, but they cannot actually use it. The way that they made this agreement actually, you could say, undermines the rule of law in a way. Absolutely. Thank you. Ashley, I'm going to turn to you and ask you to take us to another part of the world. You focused a lot of your research on rule of law and security issues, particularly in Africa. I'm interested in how you see rule of law dynamics playing out there. Thank you so much uh, to the ABA and to the law library. This is my first law day, so it's, uh, it's a privilege to be here with all of you. In terms of Africa, you know, one of the things that I looked at a lot is this sort of idea of the neighborhood effect or sort of the diffusion of, of practices across different countries. And I think really what we have seen a lot of in Africa, especially pre-coronavirus, was this trend of rule by law rather than rule of law. We've seen really over the, the course of the last decade or more, um, you know, the law being a tool by governments, um, but a tool uh, to clamp down on, on fundamental rights of speech assembly and even on sort of political free political competition. I think another dimension too, I think that in Africa has been exacerbated again, particularly by this time of the pandemic in the terms of rule of law is the way in which it has further unleashed security forces um, which can be pretty notorious for their uh, brutality, their human rights abuses in places like Kenya and Nigeria. 
um, but it's allowed them to act in more predatory ways towards citizens. So we've seen um, security forces really commit very horrible human rights abuses under the auspices of enforcing curfews. Um, uh, South Africa and Kenya and Nigeria, I think, were some of the most notorious cases. This is sort of a, a new dimension of a problem that already um, existed. These things don't suddenly come out of nowhere. These are institutions which themselves are rarely subject to the rule of law, meaning that they, they frequently commit uh, abuses and frequently uh, engage in corrupt activity, but they're rarely themselves subject uh, to, uh, to the rule of law, held accountable or otherwise constrained in their, inaction, their interactions with the public, even though they are, um, as we know, the primary enforcers of public safety and the law and the public sphere. And I think this really has the effect of over time of degrading uh, the, you know, the legitimacy of these institutions like law enforcement, like government. Great. Let me um, see if we can't find a hopeful note. And let me ask my panelists to share with us their ideas and experience of what works in improving the rule of law. What are the tools that we have in our toolbox? I'm interested in your thoughts and experience about what the U.S. government or the U.S. and other governments can do to promote the rule of law. Maybe, Ashley, I'm going to flip the order of our speakers and start with you. Sure. So, first of all, I think you know this issue around our the the credibility of the U.S. in in uh, engaging in this space. I think we absolutely have to acknowledge the challenges that the United States has um, has has faced. But I think that there's no question that there is uh, much work to do, you know, in our work in this globally, and that we kind of have to walk and chew gum at the same time and and work aggressively on both ends. So I'm, I'm optimistic that, that we can do that and there, there, that there's a vision for doing that. And I think on the summit and more broadly on opportunities um, that we'll, we're definitely going to see, I think, a focus on corruption um, in particular uh, as, a, as, a, as an aspect of rule of law, as an aspect of of democracy that is an opportunity to help shore up sort of uh, struggling democracies or less resilient democracies, but also to demonstrate what I think the president talked about last night, which is that democracies can really deliver. And I think there's been a little bit of of sort of brand management uh, that needs to, that's sort of happening around trying to demonstrate that democracies are, are, are yes, about protecting these fundamental rights and freedoms, but they can deliver uh, meaningful results to people. And this experience uh, with corruption is one of those, uh, one of those places that's really eroded uh, the sort of brand of, of, of many democracies around the world. Great. I'm gonna invite Ambassador Yakubashvili back into the conversation and I'd be interested in, in your experience and perspective on what works and what's helpful or not from allies like the United States. First of all, I will start from, we have to A, understand that what Biden said yesterday, there is nothing new. US foreign policy, de facto or perception was always value-based. At least if you go around the globe and ask about US foreign policy, everybody will tell you the same thing that yeah, these guys are promoting democracy, human rights, this and that, and they mix it with foreign policy. I mean, it may not be the case with every single administration, but perception in the rest of the world is that American foreign policy is always the value-based. What is news is that American tools are antiquated. These tools are old and not functioning properly. 
These tools were invented after Second World War, during the Cold War, or right after the Cold War when everybody were happy and, uh, you know, kumbaya. Today we see the different world. Today we see the challenges that we have. United States has to start thinking, I understand it's not easy, to revamp its toolbox and come with the new tools. There are very good concrete steps in that direction on all levels. Anti-propaganda or managing the anti-propaganda, you know, fight against hacking. I mean, this is a full swing. You see everywhere among NGOs in the government. That's a good beginning. We are not there yet, but it's a good beginning. USAID has to be completely revamped. Hopefully the new leadership will do that, and I know that they have a plan. And any other institutions that you can imagine, all of them have to be updated to modern realities, that we have a big power competitions back, and technology is giving them even more tools for manipulations that previously available. Great. Jenny, I'm interested in your perspective. Your description earlier of the Europe dynamics in the European Union suggests a, a grasping for tools as well. I wonder what you might be able to share with us in terms of effective tools. Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the European Union is really um, grappling now with reform of the rule of law procedures and trying to find new ways um, to protect and promote the rule of law. At an international level, the cooperation with the U.S. is also very important uh, to the European Union. So they actually, in just December 2020, they issued, they call it the new U.S.-EU Agenda for Global Change. And it also specifically mentions um, the Democracy Summit and says the EU is uh, ready to play its full part. Yeah, they want to work with the U.S., but also with other international partners to further the commitments on yeah, fighting corruption, um, especially authoritarianism and uh, human rights abuses around the world. So in general, they want to strengthen the multilateral system. And I think that's very important um, to work with several partners across the globe um, and it's yeah, finding common positions and uh, helping each other. Great. I can't believe it. Come um, close to the end of our time together. I want to ask um, our panelists in just one minute to uh, sum up your wish for our world for a better rule of law uh, over the next year when we convene to celebrate Law Day uh, a year from now. What do you wish for us in strengthening the rule of law over the next year? I wish uh, three things. First, for advancing rule of law, no single country can do it properly. No America, no Germany or France. I think that Euro-Atlantic unity is essential. Second, I wish that you know this pandemic will not only expedite what is already was already happening, but also push the governments in the United States and Europe to renew tools for engagement with the rest of the world. And third. I'm fine for America being a world policeman, but not being the world preacher. So America should not go and preach how to live, but enforce the law when it can. And we are talking about human rights and those kinds of things. We are not talking about you know, internal business disputes or whatever. Thank you very much for that. Um, Ashley, let me turn to you, your wish for our rule of law. Yeah, so I think to get that rule of law, it's hard to build that trust. 
it, um, but it's really easy to destroy it. it. It erodes really quickly. And so my hope is that we start to rebuild some of the trust that has been lost and, um, and that more and more people will, will, be, will have confidence in their institutions to feel that they can go there and seek remedy, to feel that they can go to the police uh, and receive protection and not you know, feel distrustful or and distant and ex- excluded from those institutions. Great. Mm-hmm. Your wish for the rule of law. Yes, I can uh, only echo the sentiments. Um, I would like to add that, um, I mean, even though I've been talking a lot about breaches of the rule of law, um, I think recognizing, first of all, that there's a problem is already a good start. We need to strengthen the multilateral system. We all need to work together in order to promote the rule of law worldwide. Um, and I'm hoping that um, if we involve everyone, civil society and governments, that we can find a good solution um, to all these problems. Oh, great. My hope is more conversations like this, um, which make us all smarter about the rule of law and give us the, the tools and insights that we need to advance it. Will, uh, thank you for your leadership in, in bringing us together. And I turn the podium over to you. Well, thank you very, very much, Betsy. I greatly appreciate it. I want to thank you and each of our panelists for your thought-provoking and informative discussion today. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy. 